And today we're going to cover verses 1 through 31. I'm actually going to do chapter 9 in two parts. So the first part is going to be Judges 9, 1 through 31. So why don't we stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read just the first three verses of this chapter. It says, Then Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, remember that's Gideon's other name, Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem, to his mother's brothers, and spoke with them, with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all men of Shechem. Which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jeroboam reign over you, or that one reign over you? Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. And his mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. May God bless the reading of his word. The title of my sermon this morning is Worthless Men and the Judgment of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we have in your scriptures this morning. I pray that you help me to set it forth. Important as it is, Lord, we thank you that you have preserved your scriptures down through the ages, so we can know your ways and your thoughts. And Lord, we pray that you bring insight and light in this sermon to the hearts and minds of the hearers regarding your thoughts and ways. Lord, help me to set it forth. Use it for your purposes in the earth. Anoint it. May your Holy Spirit do a great work in each one's heart and mind in the preaching of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty, you could be seated. So here at the beginning of chapter 9, we see one of Gideon's 70 sons. You remember he had 70 sons? Remember chapter 8, verses 30 and 31, said Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. So here we see one of Gideon's 70 sons, Abimelech, and this one son decides he wants to rule over other people. This son is unlike his father, Gideon. You may recall Gideon wanted the people to be ruled by the Lord, not by him. Remember chapter 8, verse 22 and 23, look there. It says, then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Amen? The Lord shall rule over you. Now remember, Gideon had many wives. He was a polygamist. Polygamy is not how the Lord wants things done. There's been much debate amongst churchmen over the centuries regarding it, but it is not the way the Lord wants things done. In the beginning, God joined one man and one woman together, and Jesus affirmed this arrangement. Amen? Deuteronomy 17, verse 17 says, No king shall multiply wives to himself. If there's ever a king of Israel, God says in Deuteronomy 17, he shall not multiply wives to himself. 
And in Titus 1.7, the scriptures teach that an elder shall be the man of one wife. Polygamy is not God's way, and that's a whole other sermon that I've addressed in the past. But here we see an awful consequence of polygamy. We see Abimelech decides to go to his mother's family to speak with her brothers, particularly, but to all the family members, corporately. Abimelech goes to speak, as the scripture says here in verse 2, to his mother's brothers. In other words, he speaks to his uncles. And Abimelech has a scheme. He wants to convince them to make him king of Shechem and the surrounding area. And he uses two things to convince them of this, as it says in verse 2. One, why be ruled by 70 when you could be ruled by one? Right? It's the first thing he does to persuade them. And you understand most people want a king. It's just human nature. There's a huge segment of people. They always want a king or some sort of political savior. Most men want to be ruled and wouldn't know how to behave if they weren't under the heavy hand of the state. That's a sad fact. So he appeals to this matter of, I can be your king. And second, he appeals to the fact that he's part of their flesh and blood, or as it says here, flesh and bone. That's the term they used as Hebrews. That term we use is flesh and blood. He appeals to the fact, to these Shechemites, that he's part of their flesh and blood, unlike the other 69 sons of Gideon. And that, along with Abimelech's first point, seemed to convince them to make him their ruler. Look at verse 3. And his mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he is our brother. In verse 4 it says, So they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal-berith, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. So he creates this mob for hire, you know, these henchmen for hire, a bunch of worthless men. And I want to key in on that word, worthless. And it is the title of this sermon, Worthless Men and the Judgment of God. But this word worthless, I've used this term to describe both treasonous churchmen and despicable government officials. I've called them worthless at times. Only to be rebuked by some Christians for doing so. They tell me no one is worthless. That I'm a bad churchman for calling someone worthless. That I don't care if they get saved because I called them worthless. Yet here the scriptures describe these men, the scriptures describe these men, as worthless. And that is because some men are. And we should not fail to describe them as such by hiding behind spiritual sounding phrases. By failing to describe men as they are, for failing to call men to repentance, the churchmen of our day aid and abet tyrants by hiding behind their false spirituality. 
They aid and abet sin in the culture by hiding behind their false spirituality. They sound so loving to the undiscerning ear, but they're really aiding evil in the land. The goodness, gloriousness, and greatness of the gospel has no true meaning outside of one being called to repentance and seeing their sin for the awful, convicting crime against God that it is. That is when men see the goodness and greatness of the gospel. That Jesus is their only hope for salvation. Not when we play goody-two-shoes with people and want to be liked. So Abimelech and his band of worthless men head over to Gideon's house in Ophrah. And verse 5 says here in chapter 9, Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah, Abimelech did, and killed his brothers, the seventy sons of Jeroboam, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, Gideon, was left because he hid himself. So Abimelech slaughters all his brothers except one. Young Jotham escapes. And all the men of the two cities, Shechem and Beth Milo, make Abimelech their king. Look at verse 6. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. He is the first man ever to be called king in Israel. They rejected the Lord and his rule. Long live Abimelech in the state. And here we have a great act of treachery. When one reads history, the history of man and the governments of men, treachery has played out time and time again. Those who want power, listen to me now, those who want power could care less about those they must crush to possess it. Those who want power could care less about those whom they must crush to possess it. You may have experienced some of that in the workplace at one time in your life. It's predominant within the history of the governments of men. And does it sound similar to today? Does it sound strangely similar to our day? When men reject the Lord's rule, they often run to the state in order to replace the void. This is why historically, atheism most often leads to statism. The other it leads to is hedonism. And we have a nation that has combined both together, statism and hedonism. Such men then wield the sword in an unrighteous fashion to crush all opposition and gain blithe compliance from the people. And that's afoot in our nation right now. To secure their sin and evil through law is their goal. To make evil good and good evil is their goal. And they're doing it in grand fashion in our day. And those who give such evil quarter in the name of love, quote-unquote, are nothing more than cowards who think only of themselves and want to be liked. That would be most churchmen and most Christians in America today. So this one young son of Gideon, Jotham, does the only thing he can do in such a situation. 
He preaches, he warns, he stands true to the Lord in the midst of a wicked people. Remember the song we sung this morning regarding the Lord's rule? We sang hymn 267, Come Thou Almighty King. The very first stanza says, Come Thou Almighty King, help us thy name to sing. Help us to praise Father, all glorious, over all victorious. And then it says, Come and reign over us, ancient of days. We should want his rule over our lives. That is important to understand. These people did not. Statism is expanding. Abimelech the tyrant is at hand. And so here this young Jotham does the only thing he can do in such a situation at that time. He preaches. He warns. He stands true to the Lord in the midst of a wicked people. And I say to you, we must do the same. We must preach. We must warn. We must stand true to the Lord in the midst of a wicked people here in our day. And he goes up and says in verse 7 unto Mount Gerizim, which is about 800 feet tall. And he says, now when they told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice, voice and cried out and said to them, listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men and go to sway over trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? Then the trees said to the vine, they're going down in class, you might notice, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and men, and go to sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. The bramble being referred to here by Jotham is Abimelech. All the other trees, the olive and the fig, and even the vine, represent how good men think. Why would I want to rule over other men? I have other things to focus on, and surely there is someone better than me to do the ruling. That's how good men think. They take leadership out of necessity not for self-aggrandizement, not to satiate their lust for power to control other people's lives. So the fig tree, good. The um, olive tree, good. The vine, good. But the bramble, he's not. He wants to rule. That's the point of Jotham's little allegory here. The bramble wants to rule. Notice he arrogantly claims the people will need to take shelter under his shade. Have you ever tried to take shade under bramble? I did once, and it's a difficult task. Me and Clara were down in Texas a few years back, speaking in Kerrville, Texas. That's where we were, and somewhere near there, there's a massive stone mountain. 
humongous. It's a state park, and we happened to go over there, and we got there, and it's like 3 in the afternoon, and as we get to the trail that leads up to the top of this mountain, it has a big, huge warning sign that in the months of June, July, and August, check, this is the first week of August, between the hours of 2 and 6 p.m., do not climb the mountain because you may not live, because it is so hot often, and you will not make it up and make it back down. So me and Clara read that, and I looked at Clara, and I said, well, we'll never be here again. (laughs) So we either go now and see what it's like up there, or we don't go. What do you want to do? Didn't bad an eye in good Claritual fashion? Of course we're going up the hill. (laughs) She did bring a bottle of water. So we're climbing up this big, huge hill, right? And it's just stone. No trees, no shade, stone. And about three-quarters of the way up, we were realizing there was a reason they put that warning sign up (laughs) back down at the bottom of this thing. (laughs) And we started looking around a little desperate, and we saw this little bramble bush. And I said, let's go lay under there and try to get under the shade of the bramble bush. And we literally did. We went and laid underneath this little bramble bush, all curled up, trying to get out of the sun just to recover somewhat. I remember Clara moved her head at one point, and it gave me more shade. And I said, you know, if you leave your head right there, <laughs> at least I'll make it out of here, I think. <laughs> so lo and behold, of course, we live to tell the story. I'm standing here. But my point is, you don't really get shade from a bramble bush. And you don't get shade from status governments, from tyrants, from little wicked dogs like Abimelech or the federal government, or any of the other little tyrants, the governor, um, the legislature, um, the county board. Haven't tons of little tyrants been revealed? The curtain's been pulled back. You thought they were your friends. They thought they were some good people. They were just maybe mildly off course, you know, blinded in their delusions of grandeur and evil. And, you know, just poor lost souls who needed a little truth told to them. And you realize is, no, these are rotten men. Oh, the Bible is true. Man is wicked. He's depraved in the need of a Savior named Jesus Christ. It's all been pulled back at this point. So the bramble wants to rule on its terms. You will need to take shelter under his shade. The bramble thinks he's something. And should rule. And if anyone rejects his rule, well, as Jotham said here in verse 15, the bramble says, quote, let fire come out and devour the cedars of Lebanon, unquote. These are the really big trees, the cedars of Lebanon. They're like massive. In other words, the bramble will crush anyone who gets in his way to possess and preserve the power he obtains. That's what the bramble will do. They don't mind undoing the biggest trees, the best and biggest institutions, which bring order to society. They're evil. 
Notice the only thing the bramble can do is destroy. It can't bring shade. It can't build anything. It can only destroy. It can send out fire. It'll destroy you if you don't get with the program, if you don't go along with the narrative. It will destroy you. It is incapable of providing shelter. It can only destroy. I remember when they took over that area in Seattle this past summer. I said to my kids, the ones who still live at home, I said, you know what all, their, all those people who took over that area are doing right now? And they're like, what? I said, they're all sitting around thinking, now what do we do? We took over this area. We now rule it. I said, these people only know how to destroy. They know nothing about building anything. And that's exactly what the bramble is. It's what we have at the highest levels of government right now in our day. Why do you think they have the place with razor wire, fencing, and cement walls everywhere over in D.C.? Do you think they're actually worried about Russia and China? No, they're worried about the people of the United States. That's who they're worried about. And they should be. So here we go on. He gives his little allegory, and it says in verse 16, Jotham's still preaching. Notice he picked an elevated area to preach from. When you're doing public preaching, that's always a wise thing to do. Seek an elevated area. Now, therefore, he goes on and says, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house and have done to him as he deserves, and then it says, like in parentheses, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian, but you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed his 70 sons on one stone and made Abimelech the son of his female servant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother, that's the end of the parentheses, and then he goes on, if then you have acted in truth and sincerity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. And of course, he's already made clear in the parentheses, I know it isn't in sincerity. It's actually rooted in great evil. And then he goes on and says in verse 20, but if not, Let fire come from Abimelech, see, he's the bramble bush, and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo, and devour Abimelech. In other words, let them both turn against each other and destroy each other, because the men of Shechem are wicked and Abimelech's wicked. And then look what it says in verse 21. It says, And Jotham ran away and fled, and he went to Beer. Beer means well. And dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. Now, fleeing is a legitimate action in the face of evil and tyranny. Christian men have always taught this. And we see it both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Fleeing to a different geographical area is a little legitimate response to evil and tyranny. So fleeing is a legit action in the face of evil and tyranny, and by that I mean completely removing yourself from the situation geographically. He went quite a ways away over to Beer. 
And that is what Jotham did. He fled. He went far out of the geographical area where the tyranny was taking place. That's legit. Listen to me now. It is not legit to remain in the area where the evil resides and remain silent. That is not legit. You're staying in the area, you better open your mouth. And you better do what's needed and necessary. And you better take a stand against evil. Your silence aids and abets evil. You do understand that. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Silence aids and abets the evil. Silence makes a man a coward and teaches him to go along to get along. Once he embraces silence, it becomes a habit. It becomes a way of life. Once you compromise as a man, it's easier to compromise the next time and the next time and the next time. It's what makes you what you become, what you are, your character. That's why it's important to stand, not be silent, and not compromise. In a sense, silence makes the man himself somewhat evil, as he has accommodated himself to the evil. You accommodate yourself to the evil. In some sense, you make yourself evil. So here's what all has gone on. Jotham runs away. All of Gideon's other sons are dead. And Abimelech and his little hired, worthless henchmen are living large. And verse 22 moves up three years later and says, after Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years. Okay, so this is, you know, we live in this American culture God needs to bring his recompense right now. That's what, especially when we're the ones who were treated wrong, right? It's been seven days, and they're still walking. <laughs> wow. You know, it's this expedient culture. You know, we pull up the window, yeah, I want a burger. And it isn't there in 30 seconds. And, you know, so we have a form of road rage at the fast food joint, you know. Crazy. Three years has gone by. And now something is going to finally happen to bring recompense to the situation of this injustice. Abimelech and the men of Shechem are going to get the recompense of what they sowed. They are going to reap the consequence of their actions. But it's taken three years before we see it. And here is what you need to understand. Recompense is rarely seen in a week. Recompense is rarely seen in a week. We've all heard the stories of lightning coming out of the sky and killing someone who just said something blasphemous about God. Rarely does that happen. It breaks forth in a different way. The vast majority of times, recompense is not seen for years. Like here. You may have been unjustly or immorally treated by others. Anybody here ever been unjustly or immorally treated by others? Yeah, like, how could there not be a hand up, right? We are human beings, and we live amongst human beings. When that happens to you, you can possibly end up becoming bitter toward God. I've seen it happen to many. It's a real thing that men struggle with when it's a deep-seated, deep-rooted evil that's been done to them. 
But my experience has been, if you make it through, don't become bitter. If you allow the Lord to prune you and build what he wants in you through the time of trial and tribulation, he will build gold in your character. He will build gold in your character when you make it through that. And you will see his hand of recompense, most likely. Not always will you see his hand of recompense, but the gold of character being built in you, you will see that if you make it through. If you humble yourself before him and allow him to do what he wants, doesn't make the evil that's been done to you right, doesn't justify the actions of the other people, but you must allow him to use it for his purposes in your life. Understand that. Think of what you may have endured. Then think of Jotham. Sixty-nine of his brothers were murdered, and he had to watch and wait for three long years while his brother's murderers lived and prospered, while they were in charge of the government, while men esteemed them. Think of Joseph of old, Twelve years as a slave and a prisoner, yet he made it through. He didn't become bitter. I can tell you, he no doubt had struggles. All men do. But he never capitulated and became bitter. And, the, and then the Lord was able to use him for great things. Amen? You allow that pruning, you allow that breaking, that goodness of him building that character, you're so much more valuable in his hands after that. So much more valuable for accomplishing his purposes in the earth, in the lives of men, and for his kingdom. So when someone attacks your character or maligns you in some way, draw close to Christ. Allow him to build the gold he wants in your life so that you are more useful in his hands and for his purposes in the earth. You know this is biblical teaching, I'm telling you, right? Look at Romans chapter 5. Turn there, and let's read verses 3 and 4. The book of Romans, either turn there or scroll there on your device. Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, it says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. That's the gold. God uses the tribulations and the trials. He wants to produce gold in your life, in your character. And it only happens if you make it through. Don't become bitter because you didn't see God's recompense in a week. Payday usually doesn't come the following Friday. And understand this. Listen to me now. Understand this. And those of you who have been through it know exactly what I'm talking about. As painful as those times may be, there is a certain beauty being there. As painful as those times may be, there is a certain beauty being there with the Lord. A beauty that can't be replicated in any other situation than when you've been singled out, when you've been attacked, when men are bludgeoning you. So after three long years, verse 23 says, God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. So the treachery he spawned 
Abimelech spawned, is now returning upon his own head. God has put a spirit of ill will towards the two, the men of Shechem and Abimelech. And I have seen the Lord do this very thing numerous times throughout my life when I've seen men behaving in an evil fashion. I've seen it with gossipers numerous times. They work together to destroy someone's character, and then they turn on one another. Their character is finally exposed. Often years go by before it takes place, but in the end, their character is exposed, and if you stay true to Christ, your character is revealed to men. If you are the one treated evilly through gossip and character assassination, your duty is to move on with what the Lord has for you. Yes, at times you must respond, but do not become consumed by their evil tongues. Do not focus on that, focus on him and what he's given you to do. He knows. Your closest ones, your family knows. That's what matters. In God's time, he will expose and make things clear in the minds of others. Not all of them, because some people are just dopes. But those with a brain will actually see it at some point. And I've had people come to me in my life who heard gossip, believed it, or participated in it, who have later come to me years later. I've watched you, and I have now seen clearly about them. I am sorry for what I did. So here these two, Abimelech and the men of Shechem, are now going to turn on each other. The spirit of ill will is doing its work, and there are usually many steps to it. God is recompensing them for their evil. Verse 25 says, And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, And they robbed all who passed by them along that way. And it was told to Abimelech. They did this because it would hurt the economy. It would reduce trade in the area. Nobody wants to be bringing their stuff over to Shechem or trying to get their stuff out of Shechem if they're going to be raided, you know, and lose all their stuff. So it's going to hurt the economy. And Abimelech is told about this. And, of course, we know how big the economy is to everybody. It's like the only most people are concerned about is the economy. Oh, they're murdering babies? Oh, well, you know, sodomy's running rampant? Oh, yeah. But the economy's in trouble? What? What? You know? I better run and check out my 401K. How are my stocks doing? What happened to my Bitcoin? You know, I'm not. Sad to watch. So they set up these ambushes, it's hurting the economy, and things get worse. An upstart comes along who wants to challenge Abimelech's authority and rule. A man named Gaul. The Gaul of you. They say that anymore? Okay, good. I'd never hear it anymore. But when I was a kid, oh, the Gaul of him. Somebody does something wrong, treats treats you bad, spites you or whatever. The gall of that man. Right? This is him. (laughs) This is what they're referring to. This guy. (laughs) Gall. (laughs) Okay? So anyways, this gall guy 
wants to challenge Abimelech's authority and rule, and it says in verse 26, Now Gaul, the son of Ebed, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. So they went out into the fields and gathered grapes from their vineyards and trod them and made merry, and they went into the house of their god and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. I don't like a little alcohol to move things along. <laughs> We've all seen the westerns where people, you know, want to kill somebody, string them up. Oh, get them drunk, you know, get them, you know, libations, you know, and then uh, boom. They'll really be willing to string that guy up then, right? So that's what's going on here. Alcohol is always good for making one a little saltier, a little braver, a little more braggadocious. They drank and they cursed Abimelech. The spirit of ill wells growing. And verses 28 and 29 says, Then Gaul, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jeroboam? And is not Zabel his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? If only this people were under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. Okay. So here... In verses uh, 28, Gaul tries, in verse 28, Gaul tries to one-up Abimelech by appealing to one of the same things Abimelech did when he convinced the men of Shechem to allow him to rule over them. Namely, he appeals to flesh and blood, right? Only Gaul appeals to the fact that Abimelech's father wasn't one of them, only his mother, whereas Gaul's father was the son of Hamor, who were Hivites, the founders of Shechem. So Abimelech had only half the credentials, whereas Gaul had all the credentials, both mom and dad, from here in Shechem. So the drink flows. He rages bolder. Verse 29, if only this people were under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. You understand Abimelech isn't there. He's half drunk, and he's bragging, ah, bring her, come on, Abimelech, come out. Well, can we say the word stupid? Because his governor is there named Zebel. And it says in verse 30, when Zebel, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaul, the son of Ebed, his anger was aroused. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Take note, Gaul, the son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to Shechem, and here they are, fortifying the city against you. And next time I preach in Judges, we will conclude this chapter with a sermon entitled, The Justice of God and the Bad End of Tyrants. Let's stand up and we'll close in a word of prayer. Hallelujah, God. Praise your holy name, O Lord. Lord, we thank you that you have preserved your word so we can know your ways and your thoughts. And we ask, O Lord, that what was preached here today would be used for good in each of the hearers' lives. Lord, that their desire to be faithful to you and true to you in the earth would grow because of what they heard today. To stand true to you, to love you, and to hate evil as you call us to do, O Lord. 
And Lord, I just ask and pray that you put a great hunger within our hearts to draw close to you, to be near you in prayer, in the reading of your word, in the government of our homes. While we're going through our time at the marketplace and out in the public square, that our thoughts would be drawn towards you and the things of you, that our hearts would break within us, O God, at what we see with our eyes of a people who are being led by the nose by wicked men because they've rejected your rule. And Lord, may we call them to repentance and faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. May we teach them what true liberty and freedom really is, to no longer be enslaved by sin, to no longer be cajoled by the wicked machinations of evil magistrates. Lord, we ask and pray that you would use us in some way, in the midst of all that is going on, to bring glory to your name. Bring glory to your name, O God. Bring glory to your name. We look to you, O Lord, for these things. We beseech you for them. Guide us into some situation, some means, some way in which we can bring glory to your name. And may we live faithful and true to you in the midst of it all as you guide us to that point. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May he be praised. You could be seated.